welcome back to Beyond the Veil. I'm your host, Madison Ford. Today, I am so excited to share my interview with Jesse and Lark from The Gaily Prophet. The Gaily Prophet is the intersectional queer Harry Potter analysis of your dreams. Jesse and Lark go in depth on the books chapter by chapter, doling out their insights on plot, characters, and more. The show offers everything from thoughtful critique to jokes and laughter, plus everything in between. Jesse, Lark, and I talked about their experiences creating the podcast, intersectionality in the Potter fandom, and their mental health experiences. I am so excited to share this episode with you, so let's dive right in. Everybody, welcome back to Beyond the Veil. Today we have two very special guests on the podcast. We have Jesse and Lark of the Gaily Prophet podcast. Jesse, Lark, thank you guys for being here. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we're we're excited to be here. So usually with guests on the podcast, we start by y'all just telling us about yourself, anything from Potter-related information to where you're from or whatever you feel like sharing. Cool. Jesse, why don't you go first? <laughs> um, well, I am uh, from Detroit, uh, and which is part of my username, so that's why I like, can't even hide that. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and I, I work in a nonprofit, but you know, the podcast is what I'm doing a lot in my spare time. Uh, I am a Gryffindor, and my Patronus is a lion. Because why not? <laughs> well, not this, other, other reasons, but awesome. Uh, yeah, so I live in Portland. I um, do a lot of things for work. Uh, most of my time is currently spent making the podcast. Uh, but I also am a life coach. I work a lot with folks with like managing executive dysfunction and also like navigating tricky gender stuff and sort of a myriad of other things. And I do uh, nutritional therapy with folks who have like chronic illnesses. Uh, I work a lot with like the queer and trans community in all of my work. Um, I work a lot with folks who uh, have like histories of disordered eating that make working with food stuff really complicated. Um, I also really, what don't I do? I do so many things. Um, I'm also a tarot reader. That's like, if I, if I could do my dream work right now, I would read tarot and make the podcast as my like primary things. Um, but yeah, so obviously uh, we say we introduce ourselves on our podcast. I am a Griffin dandy. <laughs> uh, which I think is a big, a big part of my current public identity. I, my pers- uh, Patronus is, um, a platypus. Oh my gosh. I don't go in for any of the, uh, like magic in North America stuff. I know a lot of your folks introduce themselves with their, those mm-hmm. houses, but I don't accept any of that as part of the canon. So I don't have an answer for that. <laughs> Yeah, no, none needed. I think all we really need is our <laughs> Hogwarts houses. Um, and some people don't even need those, I guess. That's true. 
Uh, we do sort too soon, as <laughs> Dumbledore says sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we have a, a firm anti-sorting stance on the Gaily Prophet, although we obviously identify very deeply with our Hogwarts houses, mm-hmm. um, but we think that sorting is like terrible, so it's kind of ironic. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be room for complexity. <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, but I love that. Um So can you guys tell me a little bit about the first time that you kind of encountered the Harry Potter books or the movies, whatever your first experience was? So I first heard about the books um, randomly when Rosie O'Donnell had (laughs) a talk show, like a daytime show in the 90s, in the late 90s, um, because she had J.K. Rowling on. uh, And this was either around book two or around book three, whenever, whichever one of those had came, had came out and like Rosie O'Donnell like gave her a computer, a laptop, which was cause she was like still very broke. Oh. Um, but I didn't actually end up reading them until um, somewhere around whenever book three was out, but book four hadn't been out and I was 13 and there was like a whole display, like in a bookstore. So like, I like, plowed through like basically books one through three and then i get to the end of three which is like the worst cliffhanger <laughs> in the series and i'm like but wait what happens next what about Sirius? and like like what 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 and so really you know after that and then of course reading book four which came out i think like a year later and, and being like, what the fuck? This like giant tomb and being like, what's going to happen next? And like, basically after that, I was like, I was in it. Um, and since like book four came out when I was about 14, um, book seven came out when I graduated college. So like, I'm definitely one of those people who's like, who like came of age with Harry Potter. Wow. Um, which I think is a very, uh, very specific sort of like Harry Potter fan where it's like, I'm just never not going to be a fan, I feel. Mm-hmm. So. I love that. What a, just the the timeline of that happening, like being 14, you know, as Goblet of Fire coming out and then getting to this like huge, it's, it's such like the years are so specific too, the way it lines up for you. That's really, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I got book four when I graduated eighth grade and then the sp- summer that I graduated college was the summer that book seven came out. So dang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lark, uh, when did you first encounter the Potter series? So I have a similar start time as Jesse. I think all the first three books were out when I first read the first one. Um, a lot of people in my life were really into them, including my step siblings. Um, I have, uh, you know, the kind of personality where I don't want to do things that other people like because I'm a jackass, I guess. <laughs> so I just like wouldn't, I just wouldn't jump on the Harry Potter bandwagon. I was like, I'm not reading these books. Uh, and I actually was, um, I was reading a book on the shed roof at my dad's house and I finished it and I asked my stepmom if she would bring me a new book. And she brought me the first Harry Potter book. And I was like, oh, I would have to get off this roof if I wanted to get a different book and continue being a jerk about not reading Harry Potter. (laughs) And so 
I just read Harry Potter and was like, oh, I get it. Like, <laughs> I love this book. I'm going to read all of these books. Uh, yeah, I was just, I was just immediately hooked. Um, I think <laughs> something that I, so I hate the movies, which I know is a really unpopular stance, but I think that they're absolutely terrible. Um, I'm very hard on movie adaptations of books as a general rule, but I think that they're particularly bad because I feel like you have to be familiar with the books in order for the movies to make sense because they spent too much time on CGI that didn't age well and not enough time on plot. Anyway, so I didn't even watch them for the first time until I was in like my mid-20s and I've only seen them twice ever. Wow, I, that is a solid stance, and I respect it 100%. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I definitely agree. I'm a little more soft to them. I was, I was, a, I think, a little younger than both of y'all when I first read it and everything, um, which may be like Sorcerer's Stone, you know, that's was like eight years old when I first saw that, but uh. Yeah, I could talk for a very long time about the things that I did not like about the movies. <laughs> um, there's so. definitely a laundry list. I'm actually also a bit more soft on the movies. Um, I saw I've I saw all of them in theaters like the day they came out, and like I think from movie five, like you know five, six, seven point one, and seven point two, I saw like midnight showings like the night the night it came out. Um, and mainly because like almost to sort of like recapture the magic of like having the books all being published and being like well this is still an exciting thing and like I never got to do any of the like midnight releases when the books came out uh, so I was kind of like well I'm gonna do this then um, and and at that point I had uh, a friend who was as obsessed with Harry Potter as I was so we would go see you know the movies at midnight and you know, so like the experience yeah. of it was really great, but uh, I do agree with Lark that the movies don't make sense if you're not familiar with the books, which is a failing of a movie of a movie adaptation of a book series. Mm -hmm. So definitely, we both have strong dreams of a someday there being like an HBO or BBC adaptation uh, that's like you know extended. Yes, because um, wouldn't that just be the best? Also, I think that the way the movies look actually isn't great either. I think it's not magical mm -hmm. enough, which is why I would love for there to be like an animated like Harry Potter adaptation where everything can Ooh. look as magical and awe-inspiring and logic-defying as it should. So I love that. I that reminds me of some of the early pre-movie artwork that was done um, for like the toys and board games and stuff. Something that feels a little bit more like throwing purple and sparkles and magic at you all the time. I would right. love that. Right, and the the books are so colorful. There's so many colorful outfits described and things that are just like should look so much better than the sort of like dark, shadowy ways that the movies look and i don't know the aesthetic i feel like just should be better than it is and now the movies are out everyone sort of mimics that aesthetic and it's like mm -hmm. it should be 
vibrant. It should like, yeah. you know, and it's also the early 90s in the book. So everyone should be in like teal, ridiculous, like sweaters and like red breakers <laughs> when they're not in their like Hogwarts robes. So anyway. <laughs> no, I, I am fully behind this adaptation. <laughs> um, so you guys are... Um, Y'all are the hosts of the Gaily Prophet podcast. Uh, can you, in your own words, tell us a little bit about your podcast? I uh, I like to describe it as the intersectional Harry Potter podcast of your dreams. Love <laughs> <That's>, it. <laughs> that's our, our tagline. Uh, also, we're like hashtag ruthless. Uh, definitely have seen a lot of people recommend our podcast with always giving the caveat like, don't listen if you like jk rowling don't listen if you aren't willing to like be critical of the books um because it it is not like a reread podcast it's an analysis podcast Mm -hmm. um and it's an analysis podcast through you know a queer focused intersectional lens um but also you know, I think half of our goal in making the podcast is to make each other laugh. So it's like also very funny. <laughs> it really is. I've uh, I've really enjoyed the episodes. Um, I've been listening a lot lately, and I think it's really not to get too far into the topics we're going to get into, but um, listening to y'all analyze these, you know, the chapters with these like. Uh, more intense lenses than I think a lot of the online fandom will do. Like if you're just kind of scrolling the surface of memes or uh, most articles and stuff like that, Um, even the more in-depth stuff, you know, the academic analyses, I think that this is a really important like way to look at the Potter series and appreciate the, um, I I personally really appreciate the, you know, (laughs) not maybe, uh, not letting J.K. Rowling get away with certain things with her own politics and things in the book, and but I'm I'm talking. Uh, Jesse, you haven't spoken, but I just I wanted to tell you how much I really appreciate and enjoy y'all's analysis. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that that means that means a lot, and I also just want to shout out uh, sort of a big inspiration for me and Lark, which is the Witch Please podcast. Um, where it is, a, you know, also a a sort of in-depth analysis by two um, scholars, essentially. And uh, but their their show goes, you know, they do one book per episode. So and mm. and me and Lark both love that podcast, but we're just like, oh, if only they would have gone like chapter by chapter, <laughs> because <laughs> there's so many more things to like dig into, and then. Um, so, and I mean, uh, me and Lark are IRL friends, <laughs> uh, and uh, but Lark lives uh, across the country from me. So, part of doing this podcast is that you know we get to continue having conversations that we do have IRL about Harry Potter, but get to sort of like really spend a couple of hours like digging into it. And just being like, mm-hmm. oh, but poor Neville, like really Neville is such a tragic character. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, 
whatever other things that, you know, we're, we're digging into. So it really, it helped sort of like us to maintain our, our friendship around a thing that we both love. And also, uh, I've mentioned this in the podcast. I, my job that I, my day job isn't very creative. I don't use much of my creative muscles for that. And it's really good for my mental health to do a creative thing. And this is a perfect way for me to like, you know, both maintain my relationship with Lark, but also do this like creative, fun, enjoyable thing that I'm really glad other people enjoy too. I love that. I love the idea of using the podcast as uh, in so many different ways as a tool for um, creativity and maintaining friendships and I think sometimes uh, podcasting can kind of be seen as like, you know, a side job type, you know, something you're trying to do to, I don't know, uh, just everyone has a podcast, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so many people do, but uh, it's a really a, something that can be so wonderful and such an enriching part of your life. So uh, thank you for sharing that. I think that's really, really lovely. And so which please is the podcast you mentioned um, as sort of a source of inspiration a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, was which please what inspired you to start the podcast or were there some other elements that kicked that into gear? I think that uh, sort of, yes. Like we had spent literal years having the conversation like, gosh, I just wish that that podcast had lasted longer And then, I don't know, I think it was sort of a moment of synchronicity. Like when I moved to Portland, I, for whatever reason, just was like, man, I really want to start, like, I I was actually thinking about like, I want to start a, just like a YA novel analysis podcast, because that's like what I read is YA fantasy. Um, And I like mentioned it actually to Jesse's girlfriend who is my like BFF of uh 20 20 years this year oh wow um and she was like yeah Jesse wants to start a Harry Potter podcast with you I was like oh cool we should totally do that (laughs) (laughs) um so like I guess like yes and Jesse and I have had sort of a a long-running harry potter specific text set of text threads there's actually three of them there's like those super nerdy ones that are just me and jesse and then slightly less nerdy that loop in our friend leanne and then a little bit more zoomed out that also loop in nicole um and that's been ongoing for like what i don't know jesse four years yeah and mainly a lot of it is that i spend a lot of time on the internet, both personally and professionally. So whenever I see a ridiculous meme or tweet or just something that someone has said about Harry Potter that makes me laugh, then I will immediately like text it to Lark or to like, right, one of our other kind of, you know, less nitty gritty funny, uh, you know, group texts. Because there are some things that are funny if you're like obsessed with Harry Potter and you're familiar precisely with the text. And there are some things that are funny because you like have a general knowledge of have Harry Potter. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. And 
on the topic of like finding stuff online, uh, I want to move into one of our kind of big umbrella topics, which is talking about intersectionality in fandom. Um, so with fandom, we can find all kinds of stuff online, memes, articles, and one of the most rich and my favorite places uh, with the Harry Potter fandom are headcanons. And everybody kind of taking their favorite characters and this universe and, you know, having these thoughts like, this is, you know, in my head, this is canon, right? For anyone who doesn't know what a headcanon is. Um, these like things that we really, really love and are true in our own minds. And a lot of people, because the world of Hogwarts and the Wizarding world is not a particularly diverse world when it comes to, uh, you know, pretty much everything, you know, race, sexuality, gender identity, um, everything you can think of. It's pretty limited in its scope as far as its attention on, you know, primarily like assumed straight uh, cis white characters. Um, but because these things aren't explicitly said in the novels necessarily, you know, it's really easy to kind of dive in and say, okay, but what if Harry was bisexual or, you know, what if there were more inclusive dorm options for non-binary students? And I just want to know what you guys' thoughts are. And this is a, a huge, you know, a huge topic. So I know we could go in a lot of directions with it, but just, you know, go for it. I, I just want to know what you think about all of these things that make Hogwarts feel more diverse, all these headcanons. I think if it's a headcanon that ex like increases the diversity in the Harry Potter series, we probably accept it. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate, Jesse? Yeah. And part of it is that because there are a lot of things that aren't explicitly said in the text, either because of JKR's not super great skill in that department, or just because maybe it's a thing that she's not super interested in describing in the text, there's a ton of flexibility to for to for people to interpret like what Hogwarts is like. It's like, for example, and like what the wizarding world is like. And so, you know, for us, uh, me and Lark are, you know, we're, 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 when we're reading the series, we are reading um, Harry as uh, a, an Indian slash Southeast Asian character and Hermione as black. And then we also have a, I guess you would call it a headcanon, but we feel very strongly about about uh, Hagrid being a closeted trans woman. And mm. and part of this is that in rereading the series, like critically and looking so closely at it, there are just there are things that we see in the text that were like this it that like it's at least like say for me, like much easier to interpret, um, you know, Hermione as, as black or like, you know, or, you know, Harry as non-white essentially just because of like, say for instance, like the way that Harry and Hermione's hair is ascribed um, for Harry, sort of the way that he is so alienated from the Dursleys um, and just sort of like, the kind of lack of 
you know, description we get about, you know, Harry's, you know, family on James's side, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, basically it's about, if we're looking at the books, like the, the text of Harry Potter as an artwork, like everyone interprets art differently and completely outside of what maybe JKR as the creator has envisioned. So I'm of the mind that there isn't a wrong way to interpret art and there isn't a wrong way to interpret uh, Hogwarts and the witch and the wizarding world. Um, And for people like myself with like marginalized identities, it's like, you know, there's only canonically like six black characters. And so as a black woman, I'm just like, well, the way that Hermione is described, like, mm, d- don't think she's white, y'all. Sorry. So. <laughs> and they're in there, and like the canon doesn't explicitly say that she's white. So I'm like, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes it so there, it opens up space for so many more interesting and nuanced conversations about the text, too, to read in these headcanons um it makes the conversations about things like harry's relationship with the dursleys like so much more nuanced and more interesting so like why would you choose to make something less nuanced and interesting if you have another option definitely with i mean with how much harry potter fans can talk about harry potter uh it just, it seems in a lot of ways, it seems like a, just a natural way to speak about the series to just continue adding these levels of nuance to a, a text that is already, you know, got a lot of nuance with like plot and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it feels, I agree. It, it seems natural and it's kind of adding on to that. Um, it seems to, uh, to me and uh, my co-producer, Rebecca, kind of like in the world of fandom online, there are a lot more of these diverse headcanons specifically for the Harry Potter series than uh, a lot of other, particularly like, you know, young adult novel types series. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious if you guys think why, you know, why do you think our fandom specifically likes to, um, add on and you know kind of make harry potter more our, of our own instead of just accepting the text as it is i think that part of it is there are a lot of very there's a, there are there are a lot of gaps in the world building of of harry potter mm-hmm. um and there is and like i mentioned earlier a lot of sort of gaps in the sort of description of certain characters or Mm -hmm. of a lot of like characters and so I feel like as fans there's sort of uh and especially if you're a fan who's interested in fandom where you're already like I'm already hungry to explore you know sort of these gaps with other people then it's you're like I think that there's just there's so much space to sort of fill in the gaps that are left out. Um, I mean, before we had the stuff about Livermory or however you pronounce that, um, <laughs> there were a ton of kind of like uh, head cannons and theories about what 
magic looks like outside of the UK, uh, for example. And I also feel, and and I think that's like, like I feel like you can contrast that with say, I don't know, the Hunger Games, where um, Susan Collins like describes her like you you get a pretty clear sense of like what her characters look like and the way that she describes them um and i think you get a pretty good sense of how the world works in her series and obviously there's still like a lot of room for you to kind of uh explore and like fill in the gaps but i feel like it is because because Harry Potter is such a, like an all encompassing like you know society and world that she's created, but there's still so many like questions about how it all works and like what about other people that it just it's it is a very it's very ripe for a you know playing with and like all kinds of interpretations. It's like there's this sweet spot of there's just enough information to give you a solid foundation, but then enough free space to um, interpret things uh, to your own like for quite a bit. Being this, the vagueness that sometimes exists with like character descriptions and the description of the world, these gaps allow for that kind of creativity in fandom. And I guess I'm curious if like if y'all see a a place where maybe that and I mean there's probably room for it to be both but while that can be a great place for people to express their you know themselves and their creativity is there a a place where that vagueness creates like a problem and I know that's a super vague question (laughs) but I mean I think I think Yes. Uh, I mean, yes, because it, you know, and one of the things, one of the issues that we have with JK Rowling is, you know, her, her like post canon revelations, right? About Dumbledore being gay, about, you know, being like, oh, yeah, for sure, Hermione's black. Um, Where it's like, okay, that's all well and good. And it's like super fun and great for us to be able to like, read in these things that aren't explicitly stated but it is better to explicitly include diversity than it is to like leave room for other people to read it in mm-hmm. so like i if i had a choice between like being able to have these conversations and having it be explicitly stated that there are queer and trans and black and like more people of color and et cetera, et cetera, all of the things in the books, I would absolutely choose for those things to be explicitly stated in the books. Mm -hmm. It's something I've spoken about. I think most recently we were, when I was at Leviosa and in the different, you know, the fandom convention panels where discussions can get extremely heated because everyone who's there, you know, loves Harry Potter so much. And, but there is just this, uh, this lack, I guess. And I think what we were talking about was um, JK Rowling's response to someone asking about Wolfstar being canon And it was very, 
from what I remember, her response was very kind of not necessarily harsh, but it just, with all of these other things that had been, you know, like, you know, yes, like Hermione can be black, um, you know, Dumbledore is gay. It just, it, it felt strange. I don't, I don't, and I don't know why, like maybe it's because it made the other things seem like they were very opportunistic. Like you called them like post-canon revelations. Like they were these things that were, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know, maybe a little bit um, placed there specifically for specific reasons to appear a certain way rather than actually being the thought behind what was going on. Can we make some some sick memes making fun of her opportunistic uh, <laughs> diversity retconning? Uh, if anybody wants to see those, just check out our social media because I love making memes making fun of Jane. So. <laughs> she she does make it, she does make it very easy. So and easy. I think part of it, like let's let's say for example, the revelation about the Mudor being gay. Um, even before she said that, me as a queer person picked up on that in book seven when there was a description about like him and Grindelwald's relationship which was super gay it was just is incredibly gay but the the other part of that is um if you look at it through the lens of like uh queer literature and queer people in literature um in like modern history you know it's and i and i and i think considering at the seventh book if she would have explicitly been like they were in love it was a romantic relationship by book seven like no one could have touched her at that point Mm -hmm. but she does she doesn't do that um she has this sort of like very kind of like i don't know 19 1920s feeling kind of like they sort of almost held hands, but it was just they had a very intense friendship sort of feeling when she could just she could have just said they were gay like straight out, yeah. you know, um, and then not doing that makes it feel like, you know, uh, it, it it makes it it makes it she makes a, a statement that she didn't for whatever reason, even though she was literally untouchable as an author at that point that she didn't feel comfortable putting it explicitly in the books and like came out however long afterwards to be like, Oh yeah, duh. And it's like, uh, yeah. Okay. But there's a ton of people who aren't going to read it like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So with the vagueness that there can be around those things, it's nice that there's a place to play around, but, um, ultimately the harm the harm still remains that can be done by just not explicitly including and it's not on our list and it it feels like a (laughs) but i mean you guys get pretty uh you talk pretty strongly about jk rowling so i feel like you won't be afraid to answer but um how do you you know as somebody who is both a harry potter fan you know, but also as people with marginalized identities, how do you find this? This is like this intersection of like intersectionality and mental health and being a Harry Potter fan. It seems like a lot to juggle when you have an author who is sometimes 
um, or not sometimes, but, you know, very often, not, you know, not serving everybody, not including everybody, how, I mean, I feel like this could deeply affect your mental health experience of the Potter series. And I feel like that's a big jumble of words, but if you, if you made sense out of anything I said. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think that we, like we mostly, I mean, we deal with that by being like, um thanks for making this thing for us it's ours you're like you're done um mm-hmm. you're not invited anymore to the conversation like she just like gave us this thing but it doesn't belong to her anymore so it's basically like yeah we're just she's over (laughs) she can go (laughs) fall in a hole and um she doesn't get to she doesn't get to like take harry potter with her harry potter belongs to the readers Mm -hmm. i like that a lot um i think as someone who doesn't uh you know i'm a white woman uh appear straight to the outside for the most part. And I think something that really bothered me, it was not, uh, is not necessarily the same thing as being like, is not including people in the books, but it was the moment with all of the Johnny Depp fiasco stuff with fantastic mm-hmm. beasts and the way that that was handled. Um, Cause that was a moment for me as a fan where I was really struggling with how to reconcile um you know, that, and that was the moment of reckoning where I kind of had my moment of, okay, like you're not invited to this party anymore. Right. Um, that at least for me has opened my eyes to the things I hadn't been looking close enough into for the whole time that I'd read the series. Um, so the juggling act of trying to still include the author in the conversation when, uh, it's moved very far past the point where that, you know, like you said about, you know, if it had been written into the books, like Dumbledore said, like, and we were super in love and we had a relationship that was romantic, that would be one thing, but we've gone really far past that point. Um, and so existing in this world kind of with uh, having to, you know, balance, this is the Potter series. This is what's here for us. This is what's here for us to dip our hands in and explore Um and we still exist in this online community where fandom, you know, there are people from all walks of life and not everybody, uh, not everybody feels the same way about JK Rowling. I want to know what you guys think about as, you know, as fans in an online fandom that is filled with people from so many different walks of life. Um, what can we do as far as practicing intersectionality, so, um, you know, acknowledging the different forms of systemic systemic discrimination that people face, um, respecting the voices of people who are affected by these issues, uh, allowing different perspectives into discussion, you know, how, how can we do that as fans? It seems like something that we're learning to do as a culture more with outside of fandom, but fandom seems like this special place where sometimes people get very 
gatekeepy about what is and what is not allowed. So uh, mm-hmm. what do you guys, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I think part of what is maybe helpful for us is that neither of us um, engage with like anything that's quote unquote canon that's like past the books. So like all of what's going on with like the Fantastic Beast movies, um, it's just sort of like fuel to the fire of what jk rowling is but like neither of us are like committed to engaging with that like ongoing fandom like i watched the first one because i was on an airplane and it was there and like it did not make me have any interest in watching any more of them Mm -hmm. and so i at least i personally and i i don't engage with fandom the way that jesse does um i'm like very happy to just like keep reading the books and like i i really don't read fanfic or like do engage in like forums or anything like that and i never have i'm just like i'm in my corner with my books like thinking my thoughts and if someone will talk to me about them irl that's great and if not like i'm still fine um so i guess that's kind of also like keeps me separate from it so i'm just like i'm like cool i'm not gonna give jk rowling any more money and I don't have any emotional investment in like the new stuff that she's creating because she's doing a bad job and it's really easy for me to just be like, okay, well, you're no longer doing anything that is of value and like I'm over here with the valuable things and they're mine and so like I'm I'm good. I don't know if that makes sense. Like and and I don't have any interest in engaging with people who for instance make a brand new instagram account that literally has one post that's about how hermione is white and like made that instagram account to come tell us that we're wrong about how we're reading hermione wow like we both were just like well yep block that person like there's no why would we i don't know engage with that like we make our podcast to talk about this stuff like that's why that's why we do this but like there's I feel like I'm getting really rambly and I don't know if I'm answering your question. So <laughs> No, I think, I think, I mean, to a certain extent, it seems like not engaging with those parts of fandom that can be really toxic. And like you said, you know, not, it, not giving money to somebody who you believe is doing a bad job at storytelling and doing a bad job at being intersectional themselves. I, I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a perfectly valid way to do that. And honestly, it sounds kind of like it would be a nice break from some of the toxic bits of fandom that you can stumble across. So I think with, so I, as, as Lark mentioned, I'm, I don't want to say tapped into, but I spent up, but I do spend a lot of time like interacting with Harry Potter fandom through like fan fiction and like not so much on Tumblr anymore, but I did for a while. Um, I think at the height of Tumblr, I guess, like four or five years ago, whenever that was. Um, and I think that JKR's sort of not pushing back on the Johnny Depp thing for the movies, and then also not pushing back on the fact that in the movies, Dumbledore and Grindelwald 
it is it is about like their friendship, quote unquote, and not about their very gay relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, shows to me that as much as a lot of people with marginalized identities like really um, find lots of Harry Potter empowering and a lot of people find it, I know in the fandom sort of like part of a catalyst for their own sort of political activism that JKR essentially is trash and has no interest in like, and there's, and that in the ways that she uses her power and influence is still pretty conservative. So I'm like basically uninterested in her as a person, as kind of like, you know, a, you know, uh, a figure of like, you know, she is the end all about Harry Potter. It's like, well, you created this thing that now millions of people have read, so I can interpret this how I want. Um, and I think that, and I think that the fans don't necessarily follow suit. I think that a lot of the toxic parts of fandom happen mostly because of unexamined privilege anyway mm-hmm. uh especially because i believe that there is a, a lot of the online fandom that is young white women um and you know there are certain ways in which you know being a young white woman you know there's obviously some marginalization in that especially once you're in like class and mm-hmm. you know where you live in the world but in a lot of ways it's still like you can still access power as a white woman and it sort of reminds me a little bit about fandom discourse about around the podcast um welcome to night vale which uh is still super popular and is also a very i mean it's an excellent podcast an excellent story but the main the main the main character the main the host of in the show welcome to night vale cecil has like never been physically described mm-hmm. um and so there was on on Tumblr in fandom, a sort of ongoing fight between people who wanted to, who like did art and like sort of envisioned Cecil as a like skinny, attractive white dude. Um, and then people, and then fans who were like, he isn't literally described and he lives in the Southwest part of the United States. So he could be Latino. He could be um, you know, a native person, like he can, you know, he can look, uh, you know, in any number of different ways. And there was definitely tension between the fandom of people being like, why do you have to make him a person of color? But also like, but also not examining the choice to make him a skinny, attractive white dude either. And even though the creators of Welcome to Night Vale are much, much, much more politically left and progressive than a creators as, as JKR. Like there's still a part of the fan base that doesn't see that sort of tension. And they're sort of interpreting uh, of characters of Night Vale as sort of a default white as a problem, just because it's part of an overall issue in the world, but in the United States specifically about white people just not thinking about how they view white as a default and how that is messed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a, you just put that so succinctly, this, 
this place where because it's not examined, you know, this unexamined privilege, and that's exactly where so much of the problem lies, because when you aren't thinking about the fact that, oh, I'm picturing every single person in these books as white, then if that's not something that's on your mind as even a something to even think about and ponder, then uh, it's going to be a lot harder to break through for something, you know, for uh, increasingly, you know, adding different uh, marginalized identities and stuff like that. Thank you. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you. And it's just, I've seen it happen in a bunch of fandoms and it even happened years ago in the Harry Potter fandom on live journal which is i think dating me quite a bit (laughs) um in which there was a huge fandom schism when because blaze zanzibi wasn't described at all Mm, um mm -hmm. up until book six and so fanfic writers um would make blaze a variety of different characters like blaze as a like you know as a male character as a female character as a white character mostly as a white character mm-hmm. actually and then when the text came out where she explicitly says that blaze is a black man like a lot of white fans freaked out and then a lot of people of color fans myself included were like this isn't a problem like what the actual fuck right. like you know like now you have confirmed textual proof about what blaze Zanzby looks like um and then basically all of the slash <laughs> with Draco and Blaze pretty much like <laughs> dropped off. And I'm like, I hate all of you guys. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, and that was, yeah, whatever year that was in fandom was just like, it was a clusterfuck. And I'm just, I mean, I mean honestly, after that, I've been kind of like, oh, so this is, this is what fandom is like? All right, well, now. And then I've just seen it recreated in other fandoms that I've been in. Um, like sort of carfuffles like that where, you know, white people are angry when a character isn't white. And I'm like, you should really sit with that, I think, <laughs> and examine why you think these like characters like Rue in the Hunger Games being a being black like makes you feel this way because you really should figure that out. <laughs> Get that checked out. <laughs> yeah. Thank you guys for so much for talking about this stuff and I want to kind of bring it into um, your mental health experiences which I know as we talked about before we started recording can be when you look at you know as mental health is an intersectional subject as well so that discussion will probably continue as we talk about this um but you both have posted, you posted some really, really wonderful conversations on your IGTV. And for anyone listening, um, you should definitely check those out if you have enjoyed the podcast. And those are very similar to the kind of things that our guests talk about in interviews. Um, but for the time that we have here uh, recording this, if you want to just talk a little bit maybe about your mental health experiences, if there's you know, whatever you feel like sharing or talking about. So, I mean, uh, we talk a little bit of, uh, we actually, we talk a lot about this, I think on our podcast, because um, both Lark and I have uh, mental health stuff (laughs) and also ADHD. (laughs) Mm. Uh, So we end up talking a lot about that, but I mean, 
I've had depression for a long time and anxiety. I mean, and then on top of having ADHD, which happens very frequently, I found out, uh, turns out. So, and then, you know, uh, some family trauma stuff that I am in a lot of therapy to work through. And I mean, this is just, this is, this is part of my life and my everyday and is definitely a part of how I interpret art and thus how I interpret, you know, the reading that we're doing. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm on like a variety of medications and I, you know, I have therapy, which has been great, honestly. Uh, you can be in therapy, you should go to therapy. And, you know, it's been really nice that one of the few bright spots of the internet is that over the past few years, there's been a lot of more openness about people talking about their mental health issues and their kind of like struggles and challenges and their kind of like wins with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and that's at least for me made it much easier to talk about, you know, that I'm on medication and like in therapy and that, you know, when a depression and like, you know, seasonal affective, you know, depression is a thing for me. So, uh, and and also I think just because, you know, there's obviously a lot of mental health issues that happen in Harry Potter that it's just like it's it's a good way to like talk about, you know, it's 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 you know, very easy for me to talk about it in relation to like Harry Potter stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know. And it also is a little bit like for me, like one of the things I'm working on in therapy is like being able to even, you know, vocalize like my experiences and like my trauma and my mental health care stuff. So it really is even just like helping me with my issues mm-hmm. <laughs> is being able to like talk about them. Definitely. So, so yeah, like Jesse said, I have sort of a, a myriad <laughs> of mental health things going on. Um, I have ADHD, which is the easiest one to talk about. Um, I also have complex post-traumatic stress disorder, and um, I am a type 2 bipolar. And, you know, I finally got on medication when I was, uh, I want to say 29, I'm 32 now, um, previous to that, I was like in what I think would be considered a very serious depression for my entire life, pretty much, at least from like puberty onward. So that's definitely very much like a part of my experience still, um, you know, learning to, you know, yeah, navigate that and figure out how to, like, honor my needs. I also have um, a couple, like, physical disabilities that play into that, too. So, like, I think that's a lot of what I talked about on our, like, IGTV is, like, finding the balance and how I need to like honor my body's needs in order to honor my mental health needs. Um, meds are great. Therapy is great. 
big fan of both of those things. <laughs> Something um, I noticed with both of y'all, there's this, it, it's just this interesting identity of being a podcaster and being somebody who talks, you know, a lot and shares a lot of themselves, but this still like this existing reluctance to talk about mental health issues. And I'm just curious if that's, uh, like Jesse, like you talked about, people are being a lot more open now than they have been in the past about mental health issues, but that, that unique place is of being somebody who talks, you know, talks quite a bit about that. Does, does it feel like the podcast is a, a place where talking about mental health is more safe, I guess? I think, I think part of what is, I don't know if maybe safe is the word, but maybe like comfortable is the word mm -hmm. is that I, in general, um, which in general, I don't like talking about myself. Uh, part of that is my anxiety uh, and sort of like a lot and, and spending several years of like, I mean, really since high school and like, and like the entirety of my 20s, like being unable or really unwilling to talk about sort of like my childhood and like where a lot of like my kind of like trauma stems from and like not really want to talk about myself because like I spent most of my 20s um, unmedicated and just very depressed and sad. But it's easy to talk about popular culture for me. It's easy to talk about Harry Potter um, than it is to talk about myself. And so I think that's why it feels very natural to bring stuff up. Um, like in a recent episode, we talked about um, spanking and like sort of like physical violence of children because there's a lot of physical violence against children in the first and the books and it felt still very vulnerable to sort of talk about that stuff. Um, but not only was it, but it's kind of like being able to work through that vulnerability is a thing that like I'm still working on as a person, but we've gotten some really good listener feedback about bringing up those things um, that makes it makes kind of like pushing through the vulnerability worth it for me it kind of makes the awkwardness and you know vulnerability of talking about personal things on the podcast like my experiences my experiences with spanking like worth it not the fun kind just to clarify <laughs> oh yes yes you're right thank you two different kinds here <laughs> Yeah, I think that for me, so like when when I do things uh, like talk about it here or like talk about it for like the Instagram thing, it still feels very, very scary. But when we're talking about it on the podcast, like I'm aware of the fact that we're making a podcast, especially because like I produce it. So I'm always like, half not half but maybe a quarter of my brain is always like are we saying like too much like is there a weird sound happening whatever whatever 
But mostly when we're recording, I just feel like I'm talking to Jesse and Jesse is someone that I feel very comfortable talking to about that kind of thing. And so I think that makes it easier for me to talk about it on the podcast. And then it's, I mean, it's also nice because like, I get to listen back to it before it goes out and make sure that like, I'm comfortable with all the things that I'm putting out there. (laughs) Um, There's, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, an element of like controllable vulnerability mm-hmm. there. And I mean, we, we definitely have conversations when we're not recording about like our comfortable, our comfortable, our level of comfort about, you know, when we talk about things that make us feel vulnerable, like on the podcast or, you know, on Instagram or what have you, just to kind of check in and make sure it's like, well, you know, is this, does this feel okay? Like if you don't want to talk about it, like, you know, we don't have to like, and just sort of making sure we're very open with each other about, I mean, it is very healthy. It's like a a healthy thing to be able to talk about these things, but also it's all right to be like, you know what? I'm not ready for that. Or I don't want to get into that. Definitely. That's something that the element of, controllability and uh, being honest beforehand I think is um, I I like the combination I guess of both of those things where there's this place where you can say no this went a little further than I wanted so I'm gonna just take this bit out and knowing beforehand what you're getting yourself into with a podcast the having an outline of, you know, where you're going to, what you're going to talk about that can sometimes help keep things from getting too crunchy, I guess, and not good feeling. (laughs) If you guys have anything more about general mental health, I was going to move into um, the next question, but I want to make sure if there's anything else you want to talk about before that, that you have a chance to dive in. I guess I just want to talk about a little bit before we kind of dive in. And I think a lot of this is going to come up also when we get to the like Harry Potter and mental health stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, me and Luck have both been mostly open about like things like having ADHD. um, Mostly because it does kind of, it does affect our read on certain characters. And it also is a thing we're open about because it also affects like how our like our the way that we release and work on our podcasts um because ADHD is you know primarily an executive function uh you know kind of disorder and so it's hard to to do things (laughs) like it's hard to do most things I feel at least at least for me Mm -hmm. and so I think it's equally as important to be able to talk about like, I mean, I talk about like my other learning disabilities that I have and like, you know, other like uh, limitations that we both have. Cause it's, it's just as important for us to talk about those also on the podcast. And cause we talk, cause we talk about it a lot. I mean, these, this affects our daily lives and we also talk about it just because of how inaccessible in a lot of ways uh hogwarts seems to be for students (laughs) Mm. which is one of our one of our critiques 
of the books. Yeah, definitely. Moving staircases are a nightmare for anybody. (laughs) For so many reasons and so many, so many reasons. Like, why would you have that? (laughs) In talking about these kind of like experiences of compounding marginalized identities, um, I wanted to open the floor to you guys to talk about how uh, your experiences as queer folks may, how they affect your experience of mental health. Do you want us to talk about it personally or politically? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I feel like, I feel like it's hard to separate them sometimes, right? This this, this is true. (laughs) This is true. Um, I mean, I think a big part of it, at least for me, um, I'm the kind of person that I didn't have like my, my queerness isn't a thing that caused that caused or continue to cause it isn't cause it had, it didn't cause me internal angst or, you know, when I was younger, when I came out and it doesn't really play into my mental health issues now, but being queer definitely does affect like the, some of the difficulties I, I find in order to treat my mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've, I mean, I definitely have had, you know, therapists or counselors who have not either had queer patients before or are not kind of up enough on, uh, things that, uh, I find difficult as a queer person to deal with enough for, for them to be an effective healthcare provider for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if like you want to talk about your experience with that too, because I know that you've mm-hmm. also had <laughs> serious issues finding people who didn't stop. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, not that they're like super like uh, separate identities, but like, I will say my experience as like a queer person I think is a lot easier and more comfortable than my experience as a trans person. Um, You know, I didn't have a particularly like easy or comfortable um, like coming out process as being trans and definitely like navigating, you know, the ways that my like relationships and support systems uh, shifted and or like evaporated in a lot of cases through that had like a pretty major impact on my overall well-being and like sense of self-worth. That is honestly like the main reason that I moved to Portland and is a lot better now that I am here and like, you know, 95% of the Portland population is trans. So, uh, (laughs) or at least in the spaces that I exist. Um, but yeah, I mean, even, even here, like finding trans competent, healthcare providers, um, you know, physical and mental health has proven to be incredibly difficult. Mm. Uh, the, the voice of our spoiler warning, Sarah Sarwar, who also lives in Portland, um, 
says that it's because therapy is really trendy here. And so like all of the good therapists are taken. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, that's like, that's honestly been quite awful. Uh, I got really lucky before I moved, I found a therapist that was just like incredible. And honestly, I was only able to get in with her because like, I knew like the scheduling person in her office and was like, I cannot have any more terrible experiences. I need you to get me on this person's schedule, even though she's not taking new clients. (laughs) Um, So yeah, you know, it's like, that's definitely been something that's been really hard for me. And it, you know, at this point, finding a trans competent therapist is like important just because I need to like not be triggered in therapy, but not because I need to like, not because like being trans is like a big part of what I'm navigating with my mental health stuff at this point. I'm like very good with where I am in terms of gender stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing that i'm like i'm really glad that you found someone um after what i can't even imagine what kind of you know yuckiness you have to go through (laughs) in that process so thank you both for being vulnerable and talking about these things um i'm curious to know with you know dealing with things like adhd and uh, physical disabilities, um, what uh, what are your what are y'all's self care priorities? What what are the things that you have to do or uh, try to do? You know, I know there are things that I would benefit from doing, but don't always do them. But um, you know, what what is that for y'all? Um, I know for me that half of it is the basics quote unquote like sleeping enough and like eating regularly (laughs) and uh drinking enough water which are things that I feel like for years I didn't do all three of those things (laughs) very well um and it's like oh hey it turns out when you take care of your body in the way that it needs to, that your mental health also <laughs> is like, all right. Um, and, and then it's like really funny where it's like, oh, am I slipping into like, you know, a depression or have I just not eaten in like six hours? And, <laughs> and it's just like being aware that like, I need to like take care of my body. <laughs> it's like kind of a big one. <laughs> seems obvious but it's really not in the moment (laughs) yeah and like also kind of with my ADHD it's like some of those things are boring so it's like my brain is like you don't want to do that you want to keep doing this fun thing that you're doing (laughs) uh so yeah I am honestly like right now uh sort of navigating this really potently that's actually why we've been doing such an aggressive uh patreon push is that i sort of 
uh, abruptly recognized that I, because I enjoy making the podcast so much, I wasn't realizing how much of my time I was spending working. If I like consider the podcast to be a source of work, which like it is inarguably. Um, and I really want to keep making the podcast and like, that means that I need to like make some money from it so that I don't need to make money from the other things that I do in the same way. Um, because I, I just have been completely neglecting my really, truly vital self care for the past year that we've been making the podcast. Um, and it's pretty seriously impacted like a lot of areas of my life, uh, which is really hard because like the podcast is probably the best thing I've ever done for my mental health. And at the same time is like just logistically ending up being something that's putting my mental health at risk, which is yeah, a real bummer. Mm. Um, but so yeah, like self-care for me looks like remembering to move my body regularly. Um, I have uh, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and it's like good buddy uh, POTS, which is an acronym for a very long thing. Um, And both of those things, like even when I am having like a flare up or like a really bad pain day, things are a lot better if I get movement regularly. And so like, get making sure that I do that even like (laughs) it's really hard like in the winter and like it's cold and raining and I don't want to uh having three dogs is really helpful for that because they don't care about any of those things (laughs) so um and just like keeping my space clean is really vital um you know eating well is super important for me because my body is like very very sensitive to what I put in and around it um and so like cooking a lot is a big source of self-care for me um journaling this is something I've been thinking about lately (laughs) like for since high school I have journaled every morning and it's like hugely important for me for my mental health and lately I've when I've brought it up with people, they're like, oh, like morning pages. And I just would like to state that I think that there's something inherently sexist in the idea of morning pages because it's because like, I think it's because we associate journaling with like teenage girls that people aren't willing to just call it what it is, which is fucking journaling. Like you're writing in a journal. You don't need a special name for it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, I mean, adults don't want to admit fun things that they think are for children, which is, I don't I think they don't want to admit that like teenage girls have better mental health strategies than they do. Very true. You know, this, this, is, this is true. I definitely had better mental health coping strategies as a teen, mainly because I didn't do drugs or drink. I just read a lot of fan fiction and like a lot of sad poetry. Yeah. Um uh, and like no which... self-consciousness about those things, right? Oh yeah, no, not so at all. much better. But yeah, and, uh, you know, limiting, I think, uh, limiting screen time, spending more time just like 
in my head is is really good for me even though it can be really overwhelming um yeah i would say like on a day where i where i do things really really right i like doing things right probably takes up like five to six hours of my day it's you saying that it is uh, it's just striking me how important it is to talk about these things when when you really think about how much time that it takes different people, you know, I, I think of like spoon yeah. theory, right? When it takes so much energy and effort for you to be able to get yourself to this, you know, kind of basic level of not feeling absolutely terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's important that people know that these experiences exist that, uh, you know, for the people out there who don't have to do all of these things to make sure that they can get by in their day. That's, um, and I don't think there are many, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know how many people don't have to have some level of self-care in order to get by, but just the amplified effects of, you know, having things like a disability. um, It's just, uh, thank you for talking about that because there are, I just always find myself learning new things, I guess, as I'm opening myself up to uh, listening to more people with different experiences and how um, frustrating it can be that we live in a world that those experiences, that that's not something that was learned so long ago when people uh, have existed with different disabilities and mental health issues since the beginning of time, but it's only now that we are able to really start sharing these things and making them more visible to everybody else. So um, I'm just, I'm always very grateful whenever people share their mental health experiences on this podcast. Obviously that's what it's about, but I know, I know it's not easy. I don't have, I can't really, uh, I struggle to talk about my own. So just anytime Sometimes I just feel called to say thank you a lot. So thank you guys. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so kind of moving on to uh, our Harry Potter and mental health discussion. So this podcast is all about using Harry Potter and mental health together and the ways we do so intentionally or unintentionally. So I want to know about y'all's experiences, if you have ever if you basically have you ever done this have you ever intentionally or unintentionally managed your mental health using harry potter have i (laughs) (laughs) uh well i i definitely have and maybe not as much of the books but definitely with um fandom and like fan fiction in particular uh like I definitely read fan fiction as a way to sort of de-stress um, and it also as a way to kind of um, in- engage with the fandom and sort of engage with people's interpretations of the books, which is very um, interesting slash soothing to me. And uh, I've, I mean, I've been uh, reading fan fiction since I was in high school and um which makes me a very old fangirl. <laughs> and I mean, and there's, there's just been times in my life, like when I was in college, which is sort of 
uh, when I was in college, I was sort of like, there were times when I was basically at rock bottom when it came to my mental health. Um, and I was just like over, like just stressed out and doing a lot of very unhealthy things to my body. And, you know, but like fan fiction was like one of the things that I would engage with and like sort of read that wasn't like, you know, drinking or like smoking weed in order to like not feel anything. Uh, and I kind mm. of, and I, and I feel, I don't know, if, I feel like, and I feel kind of grateful that like fandom is out there and there's like just so much fan fiction for like people to read to be comforted or to like just like escape or, you know, to, you know, not have to think about their, their daily lives. And it's just, I don't know. I, it just makes me feel very tender for like fan fiction writers. I'm just like, mm. you've just put all this work out for free for me to like, you know, read and kind of, you know, even at my, you know, my low points, I can just be like, let me leave you a comment about how much I like that. And it's just like, especially with depression where like nothing feels good and like you don't want to do anything. It's like, I mean, I've, I don't know. Well, some of the work that people put out with fan fiction, I mean, you get these epics, you know, these 50, 60 chapter things. And uh, it's almost like being able to be reabsorbed into that, into the Potter universe again, but from a, a more interesting and uh, personal perspective. And there's, and there's definitely fanfic writers that are like working through their own issues in fan fiction, which I'm like, yes, I appreciate you working through your mental health issues <laughs> with these characters for me to read and also maybe not work through my issues with, but at least appreciate that you did that. <laughs> you know, anyone who's listened to our podcast knows I, for probably like six or seven years that might be a low estimate um just read the harry potter books on an endless loop to fall asleep um i've had insomnia since i was five um just like racing ruminating thoughts that are just like oh hey buddy you're not going anywhere let's just like be awake all night um and so what I have found for myself is that reading is the one thing that will actually like quiet my brain enough that I can actually fall asleep, but it has to be something that I know well enough that it can't keep me awake, but also that is engaging enough that like, I can't have another part of my brain be thinking while I'm reading it. Um, because mm-hmm. I'm really good at just like thinking about 75 things at one time, uh, <laughs> which is why like listening to things or like meditations or whatever doesn't work for me. It has to be like, for whatever reason, reading engages enough of my brain that I can't like think at the same time. So um, yeah, Harry Potter was like the solution for my insomnia for up until up until we started making the podcast at which point it became too engaging again and i'd be reading and be like oh i need to take notes which which i I feel (laughs) a little bad about because i'm like oh no because i i know that this is one of uh lark's um you know ways dealing with his insomnia and it also makes him a perfect harry potter co-host because he (laughs) has read it so many times that he knows just like so many of the the details that we talk about 
Yeah. I, and I, you know, don't, don't feel bad because like the, the podcast is definitely um, another way that I use Harry Potter to help with my mental health. Like making this podcast is so good for my mental health. Um, In a lot of ways, part of it is like doing something creative that, you know, is, you know, part, so part of what comes with having ADHD is that if you, if something isn't necessary, the chances that you'll actually do it are very, very low. And so having the accountability of our listeners of having a release schedule is vital for me because if I self-imposed deadlines are meaningless. Um, So it's like a creative thing that I'm like, oh, I actually, I actually have to do this. And that is great. Um, But I think maybe even bigger than that. And this is maybe like the most vulnerable thing I'm ever going to say in my life. But um, a lot of my like mental illness forever has manifested in like unassailable self-doubt that like no amount of evidence could possibly outweigh um and like every social interaction that I have ever had even with people that like I've known forever and I know are like there for me no matter what I would leave and be like oh for sure I did something that's gonna make that person never want to talk to me again like I'm terrible and like I don't know why anybody wants to talk to me ever and making the podcast is a little bit like having a pensive where I get to like instead of being trapped in my brain with like my ruminating thoughts trying to prove to me that I did something terrible like I have the receipts and people often are like, oh man, it must be so weird to like listen to yourself talk. Like that sounds really hard. And I'm like, no dude, like listening to myself talk is the only time in my whole life that I've had evidence that like I'm okay. And it's honestly like changed everything about my self-confidence and like my ideas of self-worth and like it, yeah, my my entire experience of like living my life is different as a result of making the Gaily Prophet. Thank you so much for that. That's uh, that's yeah. You've left me a little bit wordless. <laughs> uh, thank you for sharing that. That's uh, I'm so glad that you have that. I'm so glad that you have the podcast there to show you, and that your life has been changed by that. I don't have anything but. Uh, but happiness that that's your experience right now. Yeah. That's like seriously powerful. I know Jesse, you've, uh, you've both already talked a little bit about the podcast and your mental health. Jesse, do you have anything else you want to add to that topic? I mean, I guess I just want to say that it is, I just want to say that sometimes it is like hard for me to like, connect with other people because I really only want to talk about the things that I'm like obsessively interested in which is a lot of things uh but I mean as evidence from the podcast I could literally talk about Harry Potter forever um (laughs) and not a lot of people in my everyday life wants to do that (laughs) 
So it's been like, it's been really great to like have the podcast space where like I can literally be as nerdy about Harry Potter and like discuss it for hours on end. And it's not a weird thing that gives me social anxiety about like being too intense or being too much. It's like, that's literally the entire point of our podcast. And <laughs> and it turns out people enjoy that, which is like, oh, <laughs> that's really great. And it just, I don't know, it, it feels really good just to have that space and to, you know, to not feel so much like a weirdo. <laughs> like definitely <laughs> um or like i don't know feeling just like i don't know because sometimes it's easy to feel like too intense in like social situations and like i'm sort of like missing something because i'm just like but no i do want to talk about game of thrones for like 20 more minutes um and just <laughs> so it's it's just really important for me to have the space where like i am not self-conscious about what I'm talking about, like talking about Harry Potter for two hours, because like that means we're going to have a good episode and people are going to enjoy it. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. I love these uh, beautiful, strange, comfortable places that podcasts create for the hosts and for the listeners. It's a, a beautiful medium and I guess I'm curious in the realm of talking about Harry Potter and how um, how meaningful it can be for us if there are any characters or quotes or any parts of the series that you can think of that have had a really positive impact on your life or your mental health. You know, I've been trying to think of the answer to this since I got this list of questions and I and I don't think I have an answer. Um, yeah, I can't, like, I can't pinpoint anything. I think it's more like overall, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, maybe I'll think of something when, when Jesse talks about it. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so what comes to mind is there's actually, uh, two quotes that I'm about to butcher because I don't know them by heart. Um, I'll help you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, the first one is from the like second to last chapter of um, Goblet of Fire, when Dumbledore is giving his speech about Cedric D- Diggory, and he's talking about like the choice between what is right and what is easy. And number one, like probably one of the best like quotes from the book. Uh, I feel like. And number two, and sort of like, and sort of like one of the ways that like, I live my life a little bit because I, I'm not like a spiritual person. I don't like, I'm not like a religious person, but I believe very deeply in like living a like moral and ethical life. And I feel like, um, kind of in, you know, U.S. capitalistic society is sort of like there's a lot of big and small choices about doing what is right and what is easy, you know? And I feel very strongly that, like, about doing the right thing and helping people and, like, making these, like, 
ethical choices as a human being. Uh, so, and as much as I actually don't like Dumbledore as a character, that's like still like probably one. That's probably like the one one of the one of the one of the things from the book that like I think about constantly, and is sort of like a very apt description about like my life. <laughs> and then the the second thing is just. I think it's from, I believe it's from book five. Um, and I don't actually remember which character says it, but you know, about like, you know, the dead never truly leaving us. Um, and mm. part of that is that I, part of my very low mental health period of my life in my, when I was in college is sort of like um, grieving for my grandparents who I was, I was very close to who died pretty close together like before I started college um which I didn't actually ever didn't fully deal with for several years um but just sort of like you know the quote that like you know you know our people that we lose don't ever truly leave us you know if we're if we keep them close and remember them is still like such a positive way to grieve and to think about um and just like the, the thing about the people who have impacted our lives, even if they've moved on and especially in a way that's like basically non-denominational and like not super like religious. Um, and so that's like another quote that I feel like I, I feel very deeply in my, in my body. <laughs> so I love those. Those are, thank you for sharing those. I, it's interesting sometimes when I, talk to people about these types of questions, you know, these, what, what makes such an impact. And, uh, I love that these, I really love it when quotes do, because I think, you know, it gets into that, like, this is your interpretation of these words themselves and that such a, so few words can have such a broad implication into how you live your life and how you work through these things, you know, knowing that you want to live a life based on these certain, like, you know, trying to be ethical or moral, you know, believing that you should try and make these choices or working through something as monumental as the passing of a loved one. And so just thank you for sharing that. And I'm, I'm glad that you have the books here to, um, you know, as so many of us do to move us through these times and to guide us. Um, yeah. Just thank you. Well, I guess you don't have to answer if you don't ha if you don't have a thing to talk about. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, honestly, I feel like obviously Harry Potter has had a positive impact on my life, but I, I do think it's more like a general like the themes, like the bigger things than like and a lot of like what not to do is like I feel like I don't want to give like a like a negatively framed answer as part I, of my problem here if you if you feel that that's what you want to say you know. <laughs> I mean I feel like uh over and over and over again in these books we get really solid evidence that um talking about things would have been a better option than the <laughs> yes. ways that people do things and I do feel like that that is a really positive thing that I have taken away from the books is like, talk, talk about things, just talk about it. Like, 
honesty is going to work out so much better. And I, and I feel like Harry Potter models that for us and sort of like a backwards, like this is what happens when you don't do that kind of way. <laughs> and I, I see what you mean negative as in like, a, this is what not to do, but that's a, that's such an important lesson and um, <laughs> one that the characters in the books had the opportunity to learn over and over again and struggled <laughs> to put into practice yeah. Harry in particular and um yeah thank thank you for that that's and oh go ahead also so many characters in Harry Potter would have been better off with therapy turns yes out. oh my gosh you could have a whole podcast about the improvements that could have been made in the lives of everyone if <laughs> just a few people oh had gone to therapy yeah but um as we move to the end of the episode, I'm curious to know if y'all have any final words of wisdom or advice for anyone listening in today. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, we both think that you should go to therapy. You, generic listener, whoever you are, you should go to therapy. <laughs> Therapy's great. Uh, you know, do yourself the favor of give yourself the gift of therapy <laughs> yeah even if you don't have any money there are definitely ways of getting getting some therapy mm-hmm. um and if and if you need to take medication it's, you know not as i don't know what i want to say about that but you don't have to, sometimes it's like oh well you know if you don't have if your brain doesn't make serotonin store brought is fine yeah <laughs> Thank you. That's. I always appreciate those reminders, not just for listeners, but as someone with mental health issues myself, it's always important to hear that it's okay to have mental health issues and take care of them however you need to. Mm-hmm. So, um, as we go, uh, y'all have anything you want to share about? your social media accounts, your Patreon, any projects, whatever you want to share about what's going on with the Gailey Prophet or anything else, please feel free to plug away. Let everyone know where they can find you and how they can better support you. Yeah, we are at the Gailey Prophet. It's Gailey, like G-A-Y-L-Y, because it's a gay pun, um, on all the places, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is the best place to follow us. Um, that's also our Patreon, patreon.com slash the Gailey It's also our website. Um, you should find us all of those places. We are uh, desperately attempting to meet our first Patreon goal right now. So uh, if you feel like, you know, you just really love queer witchy stuff even if you don't want to listen to our podcast i don't think you would be sad about uh joining our patreon because it's just full of queer witchy stuff also our podcast is wherever podcasts are found everywhere you should totally totally listen to us talk even more about mental health issues and how everyone needs therapy in the wizarding world (laughs) (laughs) perfect we will have all of your Uh, links to Patreon and socials uh, posted in our posts and notes and everything. Thank you both for being here on the 
podcast. It's always wonderful to spend more time <laughs> talking for hours about Harry Potter and fandom. And I just, I really appreciate that you took out the time to join me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting us. It was great. Yeah, thanks. It's... Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That was my interview with Jesse and Lark. Jesse, Lark, thank you again for joining me on the show. You listening can find The Gaily Prophet in the show notes and post it to our social media profile as well. Definitely give the show a listen. I think that a lot of y'all would really enjoy it. At some point, I'll be coming onto The Gaily Prophet as a guest, and I'll let y'all know when that goes up. If you've enjoyed listening to Beyond the Veil, maybe you want to share your story as a guest on the show please get in touch with us. You can reach us at our website, which is linked below, through our email at beyondtheveilpod at gmail.com, or on our social media profiles. We're Beyond the Veil Pod on Instagram and Facebook, and Beyond the Veil MN on Twitter. We've got an exciting special episode planned for y'all, so be on the lookout for that. Join me next time for another conversation in the Headmaster's office. Take care. Take care.